0: Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day, they're taking a week. You have too many manual processes. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. So you get a customized solution for all of your kpis key performance indicators and one efficient system with one source of truth manage risk get reliable forecasts and improve margins everything you need to grow all in one place having all of your business's information in one place is a powerful thing because it allows you to make better decisions which is why netsuite's unprecedented offer to make this possible is something to take advantage of don't wait. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com slash strange. That's netsuite.com slash strange to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton. And this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. The U.S. has a long history with cartoon mascots, and not just Tony the Tiger or that rabbit who peddles all the cereal. For a long time, cartoons, especially cartoon animals, have taught us lessons too. Whether paid for by the feds or by nonprofits, scores of animals have been printed on t shirts and educational coloring books or turned into costumes to be worn at elementary school assemblies. Smokey the bear, McGruff the crime dog and lesser-known characters like Milkshake the Cow and Franklin the Fair Housing Fox. By the way, we didn't make that last one up. And then there's Woodsy, a friendly owl in a Peter Pan cap who always reminds us. Give a hoot! Don't pollute! Woodsy is a mascot of the United States Forest Service and was created in 1970 to solve a problem. Before Woodsy the Owl, there was someone else you've probably heard of, Smokey the Bear. Smokey debuted in a 1940s public service announcement produced by the Forest Service. Back then, he was a grim-faced grizzly with a less than stellar catchphrase. Smokey says, care will prevent nine out of 10 forest fires. Alterations were soon made. He kept that drab, khaki campaign hat the one that's issued to all forest rangers. But the lines of his bear face were softened and he was given a much better pitch. By 1950, every American child would have been familiar with Smokey the Bear's call to action. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. For a federal mascot, he had quite the reach. He'd appear between Saturday morning shows and was printed on Fire Safety Week materials handed out at primary schools. He could be seen on posters all over the United States. There was one problem. The U.S. Forestry Service wanted to tackle more than just fire. They were facing ongoing pollution problems in national parks and along roads, waste piling up as the U.S. highway system expanded. And it would have been very convenient to have Smokey toss out a warning or two regarding litter. But according to author Jamie Lewis, there were strict federal regulations regarding Smokey's use. The bear could talk fire, but that was it. So in 1970, the forestry service was in the market for a new mascot and a Los Angeles based team got to work. The New York Times wrote that the plans for the new mascot were drawn on location. That is, on a TV set of the show Lassie, a long running show that filmed in California. Lassie starred a heroic collie who was very fond of rescuing children from wells, most especially her owner, Timmy. On the show, Timmy's father was a forest ranger and there were plenty of action scenes surrounding his occupation. So there were rangers on set to act as consultants. It was a perfect situation. A room full of creatives, marketers, and forestry employees gathered together just when the federal government was looking for an exciting new idea. And the Lassie team was happy to oblige. In fact, there was a marketing agent often on set named Harold Bell, who was an amateur cartoonist. According to writer Jamie Lewis, It was Bell who helped the three forestry employees, Chuck Williams, Glenn Kovar, and Betty Height, design the prototype for the spokes owl who came to be known as Woodsy. Their team first considered other animals. According to author Dennis Hevesy, the other contenders were a raccoon, a bull elk, a rainbow trout, and a ladybug. But an owl had the right feel, wise. It felt like the best choice. Though no one ever mentions it, we imagine that Harold Bell, an ad man, would have quickly realized that any raccoon worth his salt would want mother nature absolutely filled with trash. The journey from concept to spokes owl goes like this. Harold Bell drew the earliest pictures of Woodsy. Remember, he was a hobby cartoonist and the group collectively came up with the slogan. Give a hoot, don't pollute. Some sources will give Forest Service agent Chuck Williams the primary credit for Woodsy's catchphrase, but the development was a team effort. Betty Height designed the first mascot costume, and all four opinions were taken into account. And so, Woodsy the Owl made his debut on Earth Day 1971, a year after his creation. He, like Smokey the Bear, made his way into ad campaigns and Saturday morning cartoons, and even public appearances, smiling for pictures with glassy-eyed children. In 1974, Congress passed a law protecting Woodsey's image and slogan from commercial use. So he continued to benignly serve the nation for the next several decades, gently suggesting we drop our litter in the proper receptacles. Harold Bell passed away in 2009 at age 90. Soon, Fawn Tributes discussed his contributions to the Forestry Service and his first sketches of the cheerful woodland owl. And the tale of Woodsy the Owl would have been just that, except for one strange thing. Hey there, strangers. I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. It's called The Dead Files, from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve Tishabi investigate paranormal activity, haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from two totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy is a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses the skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of a haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on The Dead Files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. Really, this is the perfect podcast for fans of One Strange Thing. All the paranormal activity that you love and the great research that you've come to rely on. So, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. News of Bell's death and Woodsy's 40th anniversary coalesced into a number of retrospective articles. Some more focused on the character and others on the breadth of Bell's advertising contributions. But there was an odd addendum to some of these pieces, way down in the internet comment sections, when and where those were available. Apparently, These articles had sparked a strong public response, but not about Harold Bell's legacy or Woodsy the Owl's quality, or even hot takes on Earth Day. Not precisely. Instead, there were scores of people, some angry, some confused, some disappointed, and even bemused. All claimed, individually, to have had the same experience. Harold Bell and his friends couldn't have created Woodsy the Owl or the catchphrase, give a hoot, don't pollute. And here's why. Each of these commenters swore they had come up with the slogan or the character or both. As schoolchildren, they were given Earth Day assignments before Woodsy's official debut. Some claim to have won school-wide or statewide contests with their owl art, Others had sent their art off to some government entity, only to be told that they wouldn't be getting it back. But they all remembered writing that famous mantra. There's an example of this phenomenon in the comments section of Jamie Lewis's article on his blog, Peeling Back the Bark, Exploring the Collections, Acquisitions, and Treasures of the Forest History Society. In a profoundly innocuous article on Harold Bell's legacy, Lewis discusses the origin of the slogan, its introduction, and the enduring popularity of Woodsy. If you were to read only to Lewis's final thoughts, the experience would be downright wholesome. Scroll a little further though, and things get very weird. The first comment is a lovely response from the Bell family, thanking Lewis for his coverage. But then, the other replies start. The first is a direct response to the Bell family. My sister's name is Kathleen Boudway. In the 1969-70 school season, my sister's fourth grade class took part in a contest to represent the upcoming founding of Earth Day. Kathy was informed that her poster won that contest nationally. Her poster creation was an owl sitting on a branch with a thought cloud above its head and the phrase, Give a hoot, don't pollute. The phrase was taken from our grandmother's favorite saying, I don't give a hoot and holler. And then... Funny! I made the same poster in second grade. Owl, tree, balloon with the phrase, give a hoot, don't pollute." However, my poster was never returned after it went to the art gallery. And then... The above is a lie. The Give a Hoot Don't Pollute Woodsy Owl was created by a grade school kid at Breckenridge Elementary School in Louisville, Kentucky. I know firsthand, as I was in school when he made the poster. And then... My dad always said my sister was the first person to create the phrase give a hoot, don't pollute, and Woodsy the Owl when she won the contest while my family was living in Frankfurt, Germany. I also remember the poster my sister made that featured the owl with the German hat for the contest. It is truly the same owl and the same phrase my sister used before anyone else did. Maybe someone should give her credit where credit is due. There are forty. comments on this post, and the vast majority are written by people who precisely remember the spring afternoon when they, or less often, a classmate, created one of America's favorite slogans. These comments have spilled over into the Woodsy Wikipedia page and various Reddit threads. Story after story, from all over the country, each person, absolutely certain that they had invented it all. There were slight variations. A few recalled calling their owls hootie or not naming the bird at all. But otherwise, the stories are very uniform. The U.S. Forestry Service eventually addressed this little-known, if intense, controversy in their Woodsy at 40 retrospective. And they made themselves clear. In the Forestry Service's official view, the real origin story isn't up for debate. But they have a guess or two as to why so many people might remember creating the iconic spokes-owl. They write that the service never ran an Earth Day contest, but that a children's book publisher might have, or any number of other organizations. After all, Earth Day was a new and momentous holiday. The first Earth Day was proposed in April of 1970. Woodsy was designed by May of that year. Though a few schools here and there might have marked the first Earth Day in 1970, organized celebrations would have certainly begun in April of 1971, the same year Woodsy officially debuted. His ad campaign launched in September, after the students would have completed their Earth Day projects. But... Unofficially, he was already in the public eye. He'd appeared on a smaller scale, in regional publications, or in stories about his development, popping up here and there since his May 1970 birth. Maybe some students had seen those early images before Woodsy had been widely circulated. Maybe some kind of spokesile osmosis had occurred. The second theory is that an annual coloring contest, which originally featured Smokey the Bear, might have further confused the children. Woodsy made his first appearance in that contest in 1974 as a joint effort from the Forest Service and the National Garden Clubs. It could be that students remembered coloring those pictures and somehow, years later, the memories converged. But those explanations don't sit well with the folks who still call the Forest Service every now and then, asking after all manner of things, royalties, recognition, maybe just an apology for a 50-year-old theft. It doesn't matter how often the documented story of Woodsy is trotted out with sketches and notes and letters as proof. The believers seemed to know in their hearts that they wrote the slogan that shaped a nation and stopped legions of would-be polluters. Why would so many of them have the same memory, of the same moment in time, the same unreturned artwork, the same contest, the same prize? What was happening in 1971? There's no word on whether Woodsy's contemporary slogan, Lend a hand! Care for the land has invited similar controversy. But it's unlikely, don't you think? It just doesn't have the same ring to it. Join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing oh and strangers our show is an entirely independent production to support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and the enticingly peculiar join us over on patreon there you'll find monthly full-length bonus episodes and exclusive blog posts about mysteries that we don't cover on the show